0: Hello, Plum Creek. It is so good to see you. It's been a while, hasn't it? If you're new around here, you might be thinking who is that guy? And just in case, my name is Doug Hartley. I'm the senior minister here at Plum Creek. And the truth is, I've been on a sabbatical for the last three months. And I've got to say, I have been ready to be back with my church family. And right out of the gate here, I want to thank you for all the support I received with this sabbatical. I have been so grateful for this time. I want to thank the elders for making it possible I want to thank the rest of the staff for carrying an extra load this summer. And I need to specifically thank Jared and Dylan and Tom for preaching over the last 12 weeks. (laughs) Absolutely. I knew they would do a great job. And from what I heard both personally and from several of you, that's exactly what happened These guys brought strong messages that were grounded in Scripture, and I believe God used them to say what Plum Creek needed to hear. And you know, that's one of the things I really appreciate about our church. Plum Creek is not overly dependent on any one person, and that's a very healthy thing. But you know, there's one more group I need to mention I need to thank all of you who prayed for me and my family during the sabbatical. I know there was a prayer team lined up to make sure that Hannah and I were prayed for every single day. And I can't tell you how much that means to me. But like I said, it's great to be back, and I'm excited to jump into this morning's message. I thought about calling this sermon How I Spent My Summer Vacation. I used to write those kind of papers when I went back to school as a kid, and maybe you did too, but that title wouldn't be really accurate because a sabbatical is very different than a vacation, and I know that people have questions about the purpose and the nature of a sabbatical, Uh, so I understand that, and, and I thought it'd probably be a good idea if I give you a quick rundown of what this was all about. First of all, what is a sabbatical? Well, when you're talking about the local church, a sabbatical is usually a time of extended leave for a minister, and the purpose is to spend time with God, to rest and to be renewed, but it's also a time to learn and prepare for the next season of ministry. So another question you may have wondered about, and that's, why now? Why did I make the request for a sabbatical this year? And I'm happy to answer that question. Around six or eight months ago, I had some heavy things going on. One big issue was that my parents needed help. Uh, My mom's health was in decline, and my dad was struggling to take care of her, and I really felt pulled between here and there. Most of you know that my mom passed away back in March. That was another time when I was so grateful for your support and your prayers. So, the situation with my parents was a factor. But if I had to name the number one reason why I felt the need for a sabbatical, it was my own health. For over two years, I've been dealing with a series of symptoms, and we've had trouble getting to the bottom of it. The most difficult symptom has been these disturbing sensations in my head. And to be clear, I'm not talking about emotions. They're just weird sensations. They're kind of hard to describe, but if you want to hear me try, feel free to ask later. Now, if you've only seen me on Sunday mornings, you may not have noticed this because the symptoms tend to show up in the afternoon and especially the evenings. I'm glad to report, though, that through several avenues, I have found some relief. I can't say everything is perfect, but the situation is much better. But then there was one more reason I asked for a sabbatical. The beginning of this summer marked 12 years since I started ministry in the local church. 25 years, sorry about that. It was back in 94 when I became a youth minister up in Finley, Ohio. And something about that milestone, 25 years, it made me want to step back and evaluate my relationship with God, his calling on my life, and just ministry, period. So that's where I was going into this summer. And one last question I feel like I should answer, and that's, what did I do? How did I spend my time? Well, I did have some great opportunities to get away and spend time alone with God. Sometimes that was out in nature. Sometimes that was sitting somewhere quiet where I could focus on Scripture and prayer. I also spent extra time with my family, which was awesome. We did a lot of hiking. We went on a lot of adventures together, and we really just enjoyed that time. But going into this sabbatical, another goal of mine was to dig into the topic of discipleship. For Plum Creek and other churches, especially in our culture, I wanted to know, how can we be more effective at making genuine disciples of Jesus who then go out and make other disciples? I wanted to know, what is God doing in our world, both in the U.S. and and all over the globe? With that goal in mind, I visited 12 different churches I read several books, I met with several leaders around the country, and I can tell you, I've seen some really encouraging things, and I believe that God has given me some clarity in this area. I've been looking forward to coming back to Plum Creek and sharing some of what I've learned, and that's why it's very cool that we're in the middle of this series called Focus. This series is all about making disciples and helping lost people find a relationship with Christ. 2 weeks ago, Jared kicked off this series by laying a foundation and looking at disciple making as the mission that God has given the church. Then last week, Tom looked at this mission from a global perspective, and he explained that we've been called to reach out to people not just in our community or in our region, but to the very ends of the earth. Now, if you missed either of those messages, I would highly go back. I would highly recommend that you go back and listen. Uh, You can easily hear Jared's sermon on our website, PlumCreek.org, but because of the sensitive nature of Tom's work in several different countries, we're not going to put his sermon online. However, if you go back to the sound booth after the sermon, uh, we'd be glad to make you a copy and give you a CD. And really, if you heard both of those messages, you already have a great overview of what it means to go out into the world and make disciples of Jesus. And you don't really need me to do the same thing. So what do I have to add? Well, if it's okay with you, uh, I'm going to get a little personal this morning. As I visited different churches this summer, I, I heard a lot of great sermons. But I especially appreciated when a preacher would get very honest about what was happening in his own life. The good stuff and the hard stuff. Now, I believe that every sermon should be based on Scripture not the thoughts or opinions of some random guy. Uh, We can always trust in the Word of God, but we don't want to put our trust in human ideas. At the same time, it is a powerful thing when Scripture is connected to someone's personal story. And we should see how the Bible is relevant to everyday life and everyday situations. And that's my goal for today. I want to start by sharing a memorable moment between me and my dad. Back in July, my family was down in Tennessee where my dad lives. And one evening, he and I got away, just the two of us, to go to the cemetery. It was the first chance I had since the funeral to visit mom's grave. Since March, the marker had been put in place and grass had grown over where there had been dirt back in March. Dad and I stood there and talked for a few minutes. And then we got back in the car and I said to him, this whole thing just still seems so strange. Dad agreed, but then he went on to tell me that he's been asking some really difficult questions. He's struggled with why this happened, when it happened. He's even struggled with the meaning of life. Now, that was surprising to me because I never heard my dad ask questions like that. He was a preacher for decades and decades, and I always saw him as a man with answers, not a man with questions. But you know, the reality is the Bible doesn't shy away from tough questions. Look at James 4, 14. That verse says, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes, I think that idea is exactly what my dad was wrestling with. Life is so fragile and so short. And why is that? Why does life throw you these unexpected curveballs? And why do we get so knocked down and so beat up? And where is God in all of that? I didn't know exactly what to say to dad, but he told me what's helped him over the past few months. He said, I've been reading Psalm 8 over and over. And that's been really comforting to me. So does that make you want to read Psalm 8 and see what it says? That's exactly what I did. And I want to read those words to you right now. Psalm 8, verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. So where is the comfort in that passage? I can't tell you what my dad would say, but here's what I take from these words. When you look at who God is, his power and his glory, his strength and his greatness, why should he care about us? Compared to the universe, I'm just a speck. But the universe is just a speck compared to God. He is the creator, and I'm just a creature. I'm just this fragile, mortal being. I can't even cause my heart to beat. And then on top of that, look at God's perfect holiness and righteousness. I'm not even close to that. And no offense, but you aren't either. So why do we matter? We're so small and so insignificant. Well, all of those things are true. But despite those things, God loves us. For whatever reason, God cares deeply about us. But do you see what he's done? Outside of him, we have no real significance. But with God, he's given our lives significance and purpose and meaning. He's given us a responsibility to be good stewards of this life and this world. He's also given us an opportunity We can give glory to God by fulfilling the purpose that he's laid out for us. And in the end, that's why we exist, to give God glory. So what if we decide, yes, I want to fulfill that purpose? How can we use our lives to give God glory? Well, in order to do that, we need to give God his rightful place as the king of all creation, We also need to worship Him and and honor Him in everything that we do. We need to obey every one of His commands, and we need to choose His will above our will every single time. But the truth is, we struggle to do that, and we fail. We're selfish, and we're proud, and we don't always want to obey God's commands. We don't always want to do the right thing for the right reasons. So, let's review here. The reason we exist is to give God glory. But, we do a terrible job of that. Left to ourselves, we're not going to get that right. So, what is the solution? The only solution is a life-changing relationship with Jesus. And I know that some of you have heard me say that literally hundreds of times. But it's true. Only through Jesus can we find the grace and forgiveness to cover our sins and our imperfections. And only through Jesus can we receive the power to live according to our God-given purpose. A relationship with Jesus makes all the difference. It's the greatest gift. It's the greatest blessing that anyone could ever receive. And if you have truly received that gift, you'll want others to receive it as well. If you've been changed by his grace and filled with his love, your natural response is to want as many people as possible to find that same relationship with Christ. And you know, that's exactly what God has told the church to do. Our focus should be leading people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus the basis for this whole series comes from Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 to 20. And I'm not going to focus on these verses today because Jared and Tom did a great job with that. But I do want to go back and read this passage because this is foundational. And remember, these were some of the last words that Jesus spoke before he left this earth. Matthew chapter 28 starting with verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. So like we heard the last two weeks, these are the marching orders for the church. And this wasn't just for the original disciples. This isn't just for preachers or elders or a small group of super-Christians. Every follower of Jesus has a role to play in leading others to become disciples of Jesus. Another way to think about this is to look at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, back when he was calling his first disciples. One day, Jesus was walking along a lake, and he saw two brothers out there fishing. Their names were Peter and Andrew. And listen to what Jesus says, Matthew 4, 19. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now that's a short, simple sentence, but there's a lot of meaning in that sentence. A minister and an author named Jim Putman points out that this verse gives us the definition of a true disciple of Christ. So let's break it down. In the first part, Jesus says, follow me. And what does that mean? Well, from that phrase, we learn that a disciple knows and follows Christ. Remember, this was the first century Jewish world. And that was a time when it was a big deal to be the disciple of a rabbi. A disciple would place himself under the rabbi's authority. He would literally follow the rabbi around on a daily basis and get to know him, and learn from what he said and what he did. And over time, the disciple would become like the rabbi. Now today, a lot of people like the idea of being saved, but many folks are a little reluctant about actually following Jesus. A lot of folks don't feel like doing what Jesus told us to do. But this is part of the definition of a true disciple. A disciple actually follows Christ. Let's look at the next part of the verse. Jesus said, and I will make you. At first glance, that short phrase may not seem that important, but when you think about it, we see here that a disciple is being changed by Christ. I will make you. His plan is to turn us into something different than who we used to be. Through the Holy Spirit, Christ transforms our hearts and our minds. And the Spirit equips us to carry out the last part of the verse. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you, what? Fishers of men. And by the way, the Greek word for men there is anthropos, which refers to both men and women. But what do we learn from this phrase? Well, it's obvious, isn't it? A disciple is committed to the mission of christ and the mission of christ is people it's to go out and find people who are like lost sheep to find people who are far from god and help them get back to god through a relationship with christ but right here is where many of us struggle we think i can't do that it's awkward and i don't know enough And and by the way, have you seen our world today? If you go out and start evangelizing and you try to get somebody to become a Christian, you get a lot of resistance. And trust me, I do understand that. But first of all, let's remember, this task is not really on our shoulders. We can't do God's part. We can't do the other person's part. We can only do our part. And what did Jesus say in Matthew 28, 20? He said, I will be with you. And what did he say in Matthew 4, 19? He said, I will make you fishers of men. I will transform your life if you let me. So these words are very encouraging. But let's take an honest look at the current situation. What's the state of the church? How are Christians actually doing when it comes to the mission that Jesus gave us? Are we effective at making disciples who go out and make other disciples? Well, it depends on where you look. In some places, the church is doing a great job. In other places, not so much. I want to share some of what I learned this summer. First, I want to tell you about a guy named Doug Lucas. Doug is the president of a ministry called Team Expansion. Early into my sabbatical, I had the chance to meet with Doug for several hours. Team Expansion is based over in Louisville. And the goal of this organization is to see every person in the world reached with the gospel of Christ. Doug recently wrote a book, and he is very passionate about this topic. Uh, He has studied disciple-making movements around the world, and what's happening in other places is absolutely amazing. One example, in Doug's book, he describes what's been happening on the mission field in West Africa in a place where most people are Muslims. Team expansion has been working in this area. And from the year 2000 to 2010, those workers led about 30 people to Christ. 30 people over 10 years. But then in the year 2010, things changed. Around then, the church there developed a new urgency and a new strategy for making disciples. They got very serious about prayer, praying for lost people. And they also got serious about obeying God, no matter what he told them to do. So, 30 years, 30 people in 10 years. Let's fast forward to 2017. In that year alone, they baptized 1,650 people. And then last year, they baptized 3,511 people. And there are many other stories like that. Listen to some of what's been happening around the world. In the last 15 years, more Muslims have come to Christ than in the last 15 centuries. You don't hear that in the news. Over in China, it's been estimated that 10,000 people per day become disciples of Jesus. Even by conservative estimates, Christianity in China has grown 4,300% in the last 50 years. So Doug Lucas is paying attention to these trends in places around the world, and he and many others are praying to see movements like that here in North America. But for whatever reason... Disciple-making has been slower in our part of the world, at least recently. In fact, over the past 10 years, church membership has dropped nearly 10%, while the population has increased 11.4%. And why do you suppose that is? Well, we could look at a lot of different factors, but here's one statistic that I see as relevant. Only 2% of Christians share their faith two percent so what do you think is that just the way it is or is change possible in the american church like i said i've seen some encouraging things even in our country there's a church not far from us called mount carmel christian church and back in june i sat down with dd bacon the senior minister of mount carmel and they have implemented some of the disciple making strategies that we see in other places and D.D. has noticed at least one significant change. He said, in the past year or two, regular members of Mount Carmel have started doing more and more of the baptisms. By percentage, the staff has been doing less baptisms. And you see why that's exciting, right? If it's only the staff leading people to Christ, that's a huge bottleneck. But if everyone in the church is involved, the disciple making shifts from addition to multiplication. And when that happens, the potential is awesome. I saw some of that potential being realized down in Florida at Tomoka Christian Church. At Tomoka, I spent about an hour and a half with Joe Pudding, the senior pastor. Joe, Joe told me that their church is committed to do as much good as possible in the name of Christ. And they are laser-focused on helping people find Jesus because they want everyone to be prepared for eternity. So how does that play out in their church? Well, I'll tell you, Tomoka unleashes their people to carry out the mission. Every year, dozens of mission teams go out to serve at local, national, and international destinations as a church they give over two million dollars every year to share jesus and meet needs around the world in fact joe told me that tomoka has partnered with some kind of mission in every country in the world can you imagine that every country in the world i mean that's amazing And I praise God for examples like that because they are proof that we don't have to settle for the status quo. So how can Plum Creek grow in this area? Well, first of all, it's very important that the leaders here set the example. Everyone in leadership needs to have a genuine urgency and compassion for lost people. The church needs to see us praying and working to lead people to Christ. At the same time, though, Every member of Plum Creek needs to be a part of this. I want to share one more encouraging example from this summer. At the close of the the sabbatical, I, I went on a trip to visit my brother and his family out in Alaska. And that trip was completely amazing. I had never planned to go to Alaska, but since my brother Greg moved out there two years ago, I've been waiting for the chance to visit him. And while I was there, I saw a very interesting change in Greg and his wife, Shannon. They told me that before they moved, they were very much living in a Christian bubble. Pretty much all their friends were Christians. Now, they went to a great church back then, but they pretty much left it up to the church to lead people to Jesus. After all, they weren't on staff. They were just regular members. But in Alaska... Things have been different. They've been uprooted from everything familiar. Now, instead of teaching at a Christian college, Greg is working at a state university. And while I was there, I saw that Greg and Shannon had made all these friends who were disconnected to God. One of them was a guy named James. James was one of Greg's co-workers. And he and Shannon invited James into their lives and into their home And he started going to church with them every week. Shannon has a friend named Kim. And Kim has kind of a fuzzy view of spirituality. She's sort of Buddhist, but she's also kind of searching. Shannon and I talked for a long time. And she's really trying to figure out how how she can reach out to Kim with the love of Christ and the truth of Christ. And that's the tricky part, isn't it? If you just love somebody, but you never get around to telling them about Jesus, they don't know what they're missing. On the other hand, if you speak a bunch of truth without showing love, a person just feels judged. And in the end, only Jesus got that exactly right. But I love the fact that my brother and my sister-in-law are wrestling with this, and they've gotten serious about letting God use them to lead people to Christ. Now, some of us may feel like Greg and Shannon before they moved to Alaska. We may think, I just don't know people who need Jesus. But you know, there are lost people all around us. We just have to pay attention and pray for opportunities. It's similar to something that happened to me this summer. Kind of random. Early in June, pretty much out of the blue, I started to get interested in birds. Now, I never cared about birds before, and I don't know exactly why this happened, but all of a sudden, I started paying attention to the birds around me. I got an app that helps me identify different species, and I got a decent pair of binoculars. And you know what? I started to see things that I never would have noticed before. Just down the road here in Grant's Lick, one day I was on my morning run, and I spotted this beautiful Baltimore Oriole sitting up in a tree. Have you ever seen the bright orange of a Baltimore Oriole in person? I mean, it's it's brighter than an orange tic-tac. But I only saw this because I was looking around. I was paying attention. In the month of July, we went down to Florida for my nephew's wedding, and one day I went past a lake, and I saw a roseate spoonbill. This bird is very weird, but it's also very cool. And I only saw it because I was paying attention. Now, birds like this have been around me my whole life. But up until this year, I've been mostly oblivious. I want to show you just one more. When I was up in Alaska, we went out hiking along the shore of the Kenai Peninsula. And a bald eagle flew about 100 yards in front of us. And he was holding a big fish in his talons. Now, I didn't take that picture. That's a stock photo. But with, with our eagle, man, I pulled out my binoculars And I got to see him like I was right next to him. I I saw his face. He looked really happy about holding that fish. It was amazing. But why was I able to see this eagle in detail? It's because I was ready for the opportunity. I bought those binoculars. I, I carried them with me on the hike. I was prepared. I was equipped. So what am I saying here? It's just this. We all have opportunities around us. We're all surrounded by people who need Jesus. The question is, are we paying attention? Are we praying for opportunities? Are we prepared and equipped for those opportunities? For everyone who's a part of Plum Creek, here's what you have to ask yourself. Am I willing to let God use me to lead people to Christ? Two weeks ago, Jared asked you to write down three names. Three people you can invite to our new series called The Gospel. I can't tell you how much I'm looking forward to this series. It starts September 1st and it takes us all the way through Easter of next year. I'm excited because it's about Jesus. We're going to go through the life of Jesus in chronological order, starting with his birth and then going through his ministry and then to his death and his resurrection. And we're going to draw from all four Gospels in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This series will be a powerful way to introduce someone to the most important person in the history of the world. So do you have your three names yet? There's a space in your bulletin to write down those names if you haven't done that yet. Let's get serious about praying for people and reaching out. And let's get serious about not only knowing the mission of Christ, but also obeying the mission of Christ. Let's pray. Father, I I thank you for the gift of life. I thank you that you love us and care about us despite the fact that we are so small and insignificant compared to you. and I thank you, Lord, for Jesus. I thank you for the grace and mercy that's available through Jesus. And I thank you for the hope of eternal life that only comes through him. So, Lord, we we are grateful for that gift. But for all of us who have received it, we don't want to just keep that gift to ourselves. We want to share it with others, and we need you in order to do that. We're not going to be effective unless it's your spirit working in us and in the hearts of others. So we pray for that, Lord. We pray for the conversations that we'll have in the near future. Pray that you'll guide those. And I also pray for anyone here who needs to surrender to you right now and find that hope, that grace through Christ. Lord, I pray that you will encourage them and help them to take that very important step. Pray this in Jesus' name.